Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 83 of Freight 360. This episode is going to be all about truck dispatching. We're talking about the folks that represent carriers, not the dispatchers at a freight brokerage, but we're going to talk about what they are, the requirements, the differences between being a truck dispatcher and a freight broker, and then how you can actually become a freight broker if you are a dispatcher. So it's going to be a great episode, Ben. I'm looking forward to it. Me as well. And it's master's week and spring's here. So, I mean, yeah. all's right in the world. About <laughs> it's feeling good. Right? You know, I'm, I got some uh, warm weather here in Western New York today. We, you know, seeing some seventies, we had seventies on uh, Tuesday, seventies today, seventies tomorrow. This is good stuff, man. It's uh, it's the beginning of spring and into summer. It's just, you know, it's a nice change of pace. So it is. But hey, if you're new here, welcome to Freight 360. If you've been with us for a while, welcome back for another great episode. Make sure to hit that subscribe button to get the latest episodes every Friday at midnight as soon as they drop Eastern time. Share us with all your friends. We are up to almost 53,000 downloads. Uh, we're doing you know, like 6,000 of you every month checking us out. So we appreciate it. Leave those reviews. I don't have any new live uh, or any new reviews to, to read live on the show today, but that's okay. That's all right. We got a couple of reviews, just, to no, just no written ones. Um, but we appreciate the five stars. It's getting us ranked high and getting some traction there. So good hey, stuff. Let's, uh, let's do a quick little sports rundown here. First of all, the NCAA men's championship game on Monday night. Baylor just absolutely murdered Gonzaga. And I don't know. It was ugly. I know you're not a big basketball guy. I was watching it and, uh, it was like a 10 point gap at any time during that game. And uh, Gonzaga, who was the favored, they were the favorite. They were playing from behind the entire game and they lost by it's like 15 or 16 points. So it's ugly, very yeah. ugly, but uh guess it depends oh, well. on the side of view you're on, right? Really great <laughs> yeah. or really ugly, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Everyone up there in Spokane, Washington, who's a, I think that's where Gonzaga is located. They're, they're loving life. They actually had the, I'm pretty sure it was, they had fans at their football field watching like a live broadcast on like the, like the jumbotron or whatever. I think that was the game, but good stuff. Good yeah, stuff. What do we got for the masters, man? Big Augusta shocker. this weekend. Yeah. Bryce, Bryson DeChambeau, the defending us champ is nowhere near the favorite. He's only been hitting about 60% of the fairways going into the masters. I think he's like, I don't even know where the odds are on Bryson. They're not great. Uh, yeah, he's 11 to 1. Dustin Johnson is the defending Masters champ. He's the odds favorite. You know, he's 9 to 1, followed by Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas that are both 10 to 1. Gotcha. Good stuff. It's, it seems like just yesterday we were watching Dustin Johnson put on that green jacket back in September. Uh, yeah, it literally was a handful of months ago. Yeah. Well, we're back to a regular year here. Baseball is off to a uh, off to a start. A little bit of a, a COVID delay. I think it was the Mets and the Nationals both had to miss the first couple games. The Red Sox had to rain out the first day, but we're getting back into the swing of things. Even like Texas, it was the the Rangers have a packed full um, ball or ball field there. Baseball diamond. 
what do they call that? Stadium? Wow. Baseball's like my sport too, and I can't even think today, but packed full at full capacity. A lot of other teams are at like 10%, 20%, 50%. So it's good to see vaccines getting out there and stuff starting to open up. So good Speaking stuff. Of up, yeah, good segue right into the South Carolina port, breaking an all-time record on just some industry updates. Yeah. So <clears throat> our friends over at Freight Waves had, a, had an article, and I just wanted to hit on this real quick. Um, there's a link in the episode notes, check it out. It's a very quick read, but it talks about the, um, the title is South Carolina ports break all time container record. I think it's 50% up from the same time last year, they opened up a new terminal in the port of Charleston called the Leatherman terminal. And no, Ben, that is not Leatherman like the, uh, multi-tool that would be named after Mr. Hugh K Leatherman. Um, but they're adding in a whole bunch of new, um, ship to shore cranes, but the, the part I wanted to read off, and again, read the entire thing if you want, but the quote here is that loaded imports last month at the Port of Charleston were up nearly 50% year over year from 76,000 TEUs in March 2020 up to almost 114,000 this year, the SCPA said, noting the, quote, booming Southeast population and pandemic-driven lifestyle shifts continue to drive retail imports, including home goods, furniture, electronics, exercise equipment, and fresh produce and refrigerated foods. Not surprising. I mean, think well, about it. Yeah, we talked a lot about that. That's what Dean has been talking about in the last oh, yeah. few episodes we've done is it's this shift in our economy and the change in the way we're all living as a country. Yep. Buying way more retail goods. We're buying more computers, more cameras, everything we've needed to shift from going to work to working from home. Um, and, and a lot of it comes from overseas. So just all of it does, yep. right? Like, so if you're in that market where you're, you're either doing uh, drayage or intermodal or anything in and around the ports, you're obviously seeing this and you're feeling this and it's more important now than ever to continue to grow those carrier relationships. So. That's a huge demand boom. I mean, 50% year over year, right? I I mean, the trucks and the amount of drivers, there's just no scale in that to match the scale and the demand, right? The need for the trucks. There's just a big, it's a big lopsided supply demand curve right now. We've got a huge supply of freight and the, I mean- you just, we can't scale up the amount of people driving a truck that fast to match up with it. That's why, you know, it's putting pressure on the entire country. Yeah. So good news for brokers. Good it news is. for truck drivers. Good news for dispatchers. Not so great news for shippers. I remember, I remember recording an episode. It was, it was probably like last May. And I talked about it, you know, with the pandemic and everything shutting down. And people were always asking me, like, when's it going to change? When's, when's it going to change? And I said that as stuff starts to reopen, you'll see an increase in volumes of shipments. What I did not project for was this lifestyle shift that Dean mentioned a lot. And that has dramatically affected the, the demand for trucks and the overall shipping across the nation the last 12 months. So, And there's a lot of other yeah. things too, right? Like I, have a, I do a lot of work in commercial real estate and have for a long time. And I've had a bunch of developers reach out to me over the past couple of weeks because they know I do a lot in shipping. And they're like, hey, Ben, have you seen like, Appliances are just in short order everywhere because the people trying to buy new homes as well as them trying to build new homes, they can't. And you have the glut where they just stop manufacturing them for a period of time all around the globe. And 
there are just issues everywhere you're looking in everything we purchase, which is all opportunities for freight brokers out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's and a good read. Factors, Check it out. Link the in the show notes. Good stuff. So let's, uh, we got a good episode on dispatching, but first we got to talk about our friends over at Lean. Obviously, we had Trey Griggs on the last couple of episodes. Whether you're a licensed freight broker or you're a freight agent, those are really the two best fits for partnering with our friends over at Lean. Whether it's staffing, technology needs, marketing needs, sales to grow your business and get folks in seats making calls for you, Lean Solutions Group, check them out, link in the show notes, talk to our friend Trey. They have an outstanding variety of solutions out there, no matter what size of a broker or an agency you are. Check them out. It is leangroup.com and they can help you out. So dispatching, Ben, this is yeah, a good so one. I'm going to take this right off of um, an article on DAT that will also be in the show notes. It's their startup guide on how to become a truck dispatcher. And I'm, I'm actually going to read some of this verbatim because I think it very succinctly describes what a truck dispatcher does versus what a freight broker does. A truck dispatcher's job is essentially to manage freight on behalf of a carrier. That includes using load boards and personal connections to locate freight that needs to be shipped, speaking to brokers, conducting negotiations, and eventually dispatching drivers and setting up their routes. In many cases, the position also includes some back-end work like reviewing driver logs and tracking their hours. Now, a truck dispatcher is often confused with a freight broker but the two positions have very different and distinct roles. A broker is a legal entity that serves as a middleman between the shipper or manufacturer who need their freight moved and the carrier who can move that freight. The freight broker is legally allowed to represent both the carrier and the shipper at the same time, but they should never have a personal investment in either side. Now, Unlike a freight broker, a truck dispatcher is directly affiliated with a carrier and is consistently working on their behalf. Even if you are an independent freight dispatcher, you are essentially an employee of whichever carrier you are currently working for. And whenever you conduct negotiations with a freight broker, you do so on behalf of the carrier. Unlike a broker, freight dispatchers are not legally allowed to represent shippers or manufacturers. And I'm going to, I'm going to cut in right there. I want to make sure that word employee, you're actually most of the, that's, that's just a, they wrote that on DAT's article, just as a simplification that you're more. Essentially so does not mean legally. You're yeah, not you're, an employee. You're more, you're really a contractor Correct. or an agent. So no. but continue on. There's a little bit more yeah. in there. And then a freight brokerage business is required to have a freight broker authority through the FMCSA and a freight broker bond, among other requirements, which you can find actually in our startup guide, freight broker startup guide, also in DAT's link through here. And if you're interested in starting that business, you'll see the article that actually Nate and I wrote for DAT. But that is the distinction. It's really who you're able to represent. And that's where the line is drawn. If yep. you are representing the carriers on their behalf, you're a truck dispatcher. When you start playing both sides of the fence, now you need the authority and all of the legal requirements that come along with that to yep. be a broker. So, and I want to I want to peel back the layers a little bit more here. So, like like we said, and we just read off there, is that the dispatcher is representing the carrier. So, for that reason, 
they are being compensated by that carrier. So typically the way that it would work is that let's say you're, we'll make it super simple here. Let's say you're dispatching for one trucking company. Let's say they got 10 trucks. They don't have the manpower to find loads. Maybe one, maybe the owner is actually driving a truck themselves. So they'll say, Hey, we're going to have you be a dispatcher, find us loads. So you'll go through and you'll sift through the load boards like DAT and you'll find loads to get those trucks moved from wherever they're located to wherever they want to go. Okay. And in return, that carrier will typically pay you either a percentage or a flat fee rate for your services. So let's say you found a load that pays a thousand dollars from a broker. The carrier might give you a flat rate of 50 bucks, or they might give you a, you know, 5%, which still comes out to 50 bucks, whatever the case might be. But again, you're getting paid by the carrier. You're not invoicing the no broker yourself. Yes. You're just acting as an agent on behalf of that motor carrier. Now, I want to pause here, right? So, and I want to talk a little bit about just general economics, right? There's an industry that we're talking about in this episode, which is truck dispatchers that work on behalf of the carriers. Those carriers value that service. They're willing to pay to have loads secured for them so they can do what they do best, which is drive trucks. Now, this is why we say there is value for freight brokers occasionally finding loads for carriers to build relationships with because a freight broker won't charge when they do this, but it is a valuable service that carriers are willing to pay for. And yep. that's why it's valuable. That's why we say, hey, if you're a freight broker and you're struggling to find capacity right now, which everybody is, these are the times where the brokers that have been doing this occasionally with their carriers throughout their career have long-term relationships with their carriers. Because when things are slow or when a carrier needs help finding a few loads, brokers can go and provide this service as well, except in return, they don't get a fee. They get the value of having a relationship with a carrier over the long haul, which is paying dividends in the market right now. Yep. Absolutely. And it's, it is very, very simple. Like let's say you wanted to become a dispatcher, you know, becoming a freight broker, we have to ask the question, or you should ask yourself the question of, do I want, how do I want to do this? Do I want to be employed by a trucking company and act as a dispatcher on their books? Or do I want to be an independent dispatcher that can represent a carrier as a 1099 independent contractor, or even, um, you know, more lucratively represent a variety or multitude of carriers and not just be limited to one. So let's go one by one. Yeah, yeah. Take, take the first instance. And, you know, if you simply want to become a truck dispatcher for another company, you're new, like walk down that one. You just got to find a company that's hiring. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's going to be that simple. You can go yeah. solicit yourself and be like, hey, do you guys want a dispatcher and try to pitch it that way? Um, but usually trucking companies will have dispatchers dispatching jobs posted and that's going to be larger companies. So like, even for example, when I worked in the asset world, I spent some time as a dispatcher for about a year dispatching local pickup and delivery routes, as well as the, um, the more mid range routes as well, where someone would, you know, they'd still do a, a turn and burn. Um, but it might be like a, you know, 11 hour trip or some, 10, 11 hour trip, but either way they came back to their home domicile. But again, that, that was, as an employee, there was a job posting in a, uh, for a company. And, you know, I did a variety of roles there and dispatching was one of them, but smaller carriers typically aren't going to have, they don't, they might not have the, the cash flow or the financial stability to hire you full-time on the books to do this. So it's, it's kind of rare to find 
find that employment opportunity for a smaller trucking company. And Hey, the majority of trucking companies are smaller. They have, you know, less than 20 trucks. Right. And even that's like 90% have like seven or less. So they're not going to probably have a full-time dispatcher. So that brings up, unless you got any hit points on that, I'm going to, I think the other, you know, the yeah, other no, kind of run through it. I mean, really they're looking for, even in the, in the article, it talks about that looking for high school diploma, GED or some, you know, customer service experience to get into that role. It's more of an entry level role, but it gets you a lot of exposure and experience to honestly, the job of a freight broker as well. Yep. I've had a few people reach out that have wanted to open their own freight brokerages and have got um, like the kind of moonlighted as a dispatcher for a few yep. months before they open their doors. Just a great public, way to, it's yeah, a great way to learn the industry. Trucking companies, like you mentioned, these guys aren't going to have job postings. They're not going to spend two, $300 a month on a LinkedIn or monster job post or indeed. But if you call around, you might find some people like, Hey, you know, we could use some extra help a few hours on these days of the week. And it gets you some good exposure. It gets you to learn some mm-hmm. of the really nuts and bolts in the industry. Yep. So the other option is to do it contract based, which is the most common way that we see it. And what I see a lot of people do is whether you're, you know, they just operate as a sole prop or maybe they establish a, an LLC or something like that. Either way, you're going to probably spend some time soliciting trucking companies for you to provide that service. The same way that a broker would prospect uh, shipping customers or prospect carriers to join their network a dispatcher would do the same thing to try and get more carriers under their belt. So that way they can, um, they can represent more carriers and, and get more loads booked, et cetera. So um, a lot of, they'll use social media. They'll, you know, they'll create a website even sometimes at the end of the day, it's going to come down to making contacts and phone calls and emails and just getting your name out there and hustle and grind and find, you know, turn over rocks and find out where that need is and provide that solution for them. So, it's not really hard to get started. You don't, there's not a legal requirement to do it. There's no insurance that you have to carry. That's all provided for by the carrier. The carrier has their motor carrier authority. They're going to carry their required insurance uh, limits that they've, that are put in place by FMCSA, depending on what they're hauling. You're just acting as an, a sales agent essentially of that carrier. So like we said, there's a lot of, there's very low barriers to entry and transportation. It's even, less as a dispatcher than it is as a freight broker. So, but let's uh, take it a step up. So yeah. some of the requirements get a little more, I don't want to say stringent, but you get some more guardrails, the more you're going to get into the business. And let's say you wanted to be a dispatcher and own your own dispatching company, right? I yep. think there's some really good tips, even into naming your organization. It said, um, you know, the, the one article we were, we were reviewing says, you know, so many dispatchers use names like trucking or logistics. The problem is, for anybody else looking for these services, trucking and logistics is just so general that it really yep. doesn't give anybody any insight into what you actually do as a business. And it probably doesn't make the most sense to spend a couple thousand dollars on a new website either. Um, so a lot of great ideas. I mean, but you're going to need some things in place like an EIN. You're going to need either an LLC or a business structure, right? Um whether it's a corporation, a partnership, or an LLC, or a sole prop, speak with whoever your local attorney is or whoever you work with on what's the right fit is for your financial position. Because depending on where you are personally, when you start this business, it either will absorb your personal assets or it will exclude your personal assets. Yep. And that's something you want to ask You know, either your accountant, your CPA, or your attorney that you work with on which is the best business for you to form 
if you're going to start working with a lot of carriers. Yeah, I want to I want to hit back on your company name. This is that's interesting. I didn't think about that. Uh, trucking and logistics are two common names. So think about this. Same. We'll say there's a. Let's say we got a random person. You know, John Doe. Right. He can name his company John Doe Logistics, and it's super generic. Doesn't tell you much about what he does other than he works in the logistics realm. Imagine if his name was, um, you know, Southeast Hotshot something. Right. It tells you one where he operates primarily and number two, what he specializes in, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he, he handles a lot of hotshot dispatching in the Southeast. Um, and, you know, that's just a, I'm just shooting from the hip on that one, but. But it makes sense because yeah. think about it, right? When you think of like naming your brokerage, your brokerages, your carriers, any of these things, when you're looking through lists or even how we do business these days, like you throw something in Google and you get a list of businesses. We all know how we scan that list. You look through it for words that jump out at you, right? And if you're a broker or you're a shipper and you need a hotshot, do you think you're going to call all these different companies that have general logistics names? Or do you think you're going to call, if I'm in Georgia and one of those 25 names is like you said, Southeast hotshot and I need a hotshot, I'm probably going to call him first, right? Yeah. 30 yep. years ago, people thought it was genius because every company was ABC something. Well, why was that? It was because you used the, the phone top. book back in the day and you were the first <laughs> listing in your category. If you were a plumber, yeah. ABC, ABC plumbing. Yep. That's good. So one of the things I wanted to really, really hit on here, I want to talk about that fine line between dispatching and crossing that legal threshold of where you're acting as a broker, because it happens a lot and it's illegal and you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Okay. It's not really gray. Like it's, it's pretty distinct when you know there's what a it gray is. area that approaches the fine line. Right. And a lot of it has to do with legal wording. Um, there's some definite like go, no go type things like who is paying you or um, executing certain contracts, stuff like that. Um, you just got to make sure you understand. So here's the deal. We talked about it earlier on what a dispatcher is, right? You represent the carrier and the carrier only. You will not be paid you buy the customer. You're not invoicing the customer. You're also not representing a shipper to somebody. You're representing that carrier only. So what a lot of dispatchers will do, and there's nothing wrong with this, but this is where they approach the, the gray zone is, you know, maybe they're sifting the load boards and finding loads, but eventually they're like, Hey, I can actually prospect the shipper directly and get them capacity on the carriers that I use. That is totally Okay. But remember, you are representing the motor carrier that is hauling those loads, okay? You are not then able to take a customer's load, post it up on the load board as a broker, and then find another carrier and be like, oh, yeah, I'll be your dispatcher because I got this customer over here. That That's where you've crossed into uh, no-go land. Well, when you think about it, it's it's very simple and it's very specific, right? In this instance is you've either gone to a shipper to secure more business for the carrier you represent. Totally. Exactly. That's exactly what you should be doing. That's the way this works, right? As soon as though your customer or the shipper says, Hey, I know you guys have taken two or three of my loads and I know you don't have any more trucks, but I've got 10 more loads. If you have any more carriers. And as soon as you take that question and then go elsewhere to find more capacity, you are now representing your the shipper and no longer the carrier. And you yep. have crossed that line. That is where the line is. Yep, absolutely. So 
and I've had, like, I have an agent right now that previously worked as a independent dispatcher for a variety of carriers. And she was able to grow a lot of direct shipping contacts, which was great. But then the customers were like, Hey, we want you to be able to move more loads for us. And that's when she came to me and was like, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this. And I was like, no, you can't like, but if you become an agent of like where I work Pierce for wide logistics, that's where you can then legally do it. So you're, you're crossing all your T's dotting all your I's. Everything is legal. We're a bonded company that has the proper insurance and authority, all that good stuff. Right. And you're representing now us now as a, as a freight agent. So you can represent the customer and you can represent your carriers and you're not limited to just the carriers that you had a relationship with. Now you can post out to the boards, source new carrier capacity and build new carrier relationships and it's all legal. So it's a very fine line. Remember, there's a reason that the FMCSA has requirements in place and, and clearly defines what a property broker is, which is what, our, what us freight brokers are. We're property brokers. So make sure you understand that. And if, if you're getting pushed down that road or you know, pressured by certain customers that you work with or haul freight for, make sure that if you're going to broker, you either have the right authority or you're operating under someone's authority to do so. It's a, uh, it's a very fine line. So we see a lot of this out there, Ben, people that they it's you're illegally brokering is what you're doing. Imagine if there was an issue with that load, a fatality, a claim. Ooh, well, and that's the thing, right? Because as soon as these things go wrong and here's anybody that's been in this industry for more than a, a few months knows that the one certainty in this business is that things are going to go wrong, right? Trucks are over the road. People are driving. Things happen. Things go wrong. Um, what do you think happens when that claim happens, right? When the police are involved, if there is, God forbid, a fatality, right? They start working through the chain of the transaction to see who yep. was involved and why, right? And there's real liability there. And the things that seem like they're not that big of a deal, like picking who your business structure is, because in all honesty, how often do you really look at it, whether or not you're an LLC, a corporation or a partnership? When you do it and when you file your taxes. Other than that, you don't look at these things very often. Yeah. Not things that come up day to day. But just like insurance, right? You look at it when you secure it and then you look at your policy, hopefully never. But the only other time you look at it again is either when you renew it or when you need it. Yeah, it's when there's a claim. Same thing, the same thing with all these things we're talking about is they may seem trivial and they may seem like, oh, your buddy just didn't spend that much money and he just picked one and didn't seem like anything bad happened to him. So why not? Because these are the things that end up, honestly, like bankrupting people, changing yeah. the course of their lives because they tried to save, you know, a couple hundred dollars by skipping some of these steps and something goes wrong. And now all of a sudden, none of the protections the, legal, the our federal government or your state government provides you are in place because you didn't do the things that were required to have those protections. Yep. So, and that's why I said, as soon as you start, like what some people will do as independent dispatchers where they'll cross that line is... Let's say, you know, they're getting a percentage or a flat rate from their carriers, but the second that they directly invoice a customer, mark it up and sell it to a carrier, you are now acting as a broker and you're not bonded. You are not insured. You are not legally authorized. It is really, really muddy water. Not even and it muddy. happens that all the time. Lava there. Yeah. 
And so. it's, and it's, and it's what happens in the market is somebody that has this and you think about, it, they're like, man, I, I could use the extra money. This is my customer. I've been working with them and my carrier for two, three years. What's the big deal for me to just go and help my customer and get a couple extra trucks. Yep. And then they'll justify the paper trail by calling other carriers and then telling the carrier like, Hey, I can be your dispatcher. I've got some other business for you. Then they send the agreements over and then they try to bring them on board. But the reality is, is they're really representing the shipper. And yep. just because you paper that after the fact with differing agreements, doesn't mean that you did this legally, ethically, or in a way that's in any way protecting your interests. <laughs> I've got a, I got a really good but scary example for you that I had to diffuse last month. And this is a, an independent agent that also runs a dispatching company, right? So this, this agent has a, has their own company. So they're, um, they represent some carriers. So maybe, you know, if they didn't have, uh, it's a, it's a female. So if she didn't have, um, loads to give to her go-to carriers. She could act as a dispatcher and find loads off the boards um, and they could pay her a commission to her dispatching company for representing the carrier for finding them loads. Right now, here's where the issue almost happened is she set up a customer, hit the credit as a broker, right? As a broker agent, sets up a customer, runs out of credit, can't get it moved as a broker. And then is like, Oh, I'll just invoice the customer myself and run it under my dispatch company. And I was like, no, 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 no. The second that you do that, you're acting as a broker in this transaction and you are not legally authorized to do that because the brokerage you work under is Pierce for Y Logistics, right? And if Pierce for Y Logistics is the one that is invoicing that customer and then all of a sudden you're out of credit and you know they're not, they're not a good enough stable company to get more credit issued to them, you go off on your own and extend your own personal credit from your dispatching company, you're acting as a broker. That's a no-go. So we diffused it really quickly. We're able to just give the credit bump and uh, make it happen. But it was a, she got backed into a corner, got nervous and was like, I don't want to lose this customer. I'm just going to get this moved. It's like, ooh, it's great. It's very great. I'll give her, uh, I'll give her bonus there. points for thinking outside the box, which I always <laughs> yeah. want to encourage. Here's the thing. Thinking outside of the box is absolutely encouraged. Now, acting outside of the box is a different story, right? Come yeah. up with as many ideas as you can to solve the problem. Legal and creative are two different things. Yes. And then <laughs> vet them by somebody else that has been in this long enough to know where the legal framework is to operate. And yep. I think that's often so overlooked and it's one of the most simplest things or you would think in business, but so often people do what they think is necessary instead of what is in a lot of cases legal, right? Like, yeah. We all yep. agree that like these are the this is the framework we're going to operate under. These are the rules. These are the guidelines, and these are why. And then we have protections if we follow those. And we're not saying that you do this just because hey you should just do everything you're told. But there are reasons they're in place, and when you operate outside them, you increase your liability in yep. ways that you don't understand. I don't understand. That's not what we do all day. Yep. So. I wanted to finish up this dispatch discussion to talk about if you are a dispatcher and you want to be able to broker, how can you do that? Because there are ways. I, I just gave a couple examples, right? So my biggest recommendation is, well, if you're going to be a freight broker, you need to have customers that are shipping, right? Not just go to load boards and pull loads from whatever broker's posting them. So when you're dispatching, like we said, great way to learn the industry, the trucking industry. Start to prospect 
direct business from shipping companies rather than just always getting loads off the load boards. As a motor carrier, you're very often going to have to rely on the load boards or freight brokers to get loads. And there's a reason for that, right? Because just the the logistics of all of it, ironically, just, you know, with having only so many trucks and, um, you know, you don't have shippers everywhere, right? You're going to have to use brokers, but to be able to grow a book of business for yourself, you can, if you are constantly running the same lanes, start to look at direct shippers in those areas. And then you're not pulling every single load off of the load boards. Okay. Once you have some customers that you're working directly with, then you can align yourself with a freight broker. You can either become an agent you can become maybe an employee, which is not very common for in this role, um, or get your own authority to do it. And then if you actually have shipping customers that you have relationships established with, you've just cleared the biggest hurdle that all new brokers have, which is getting business and growing that book of business. Yep. So. That's a good segue. A couple other tips that I, I wanted to land on too. Um, how to find carriers and loads as a truck dispatcher. Um, some really good tips. One that really struck me is, Facebook groups for carriers in the transportation industry. So for one, our Facebook group, Freight Brokers and Carriers Network, um, there's tons of dispatchers in there. Also brokers, carriers, and a lot of these the relationships that we're talking about, yep. that's where they're being formed. There's um, also a lot of people trying to advertise their uh, <laughs> their scam cryptocurrency stuff. We got to keep it moderated. Yeah. Facebook. But, you know, other ads, you know, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Google definitely help with, you know, getting your name out there. Um, some really good tips. I mean, maybe don't jump to building out a website at first. Maybe you have a Facebook business page and then, you know, maybe you go and you get a website. Um, so paid ads. Another good tip in here was um, building a relationship with a factoring company um, to help build and facilitate relationships through them. I think it was another good tip. Yeah. Obviously DAT directory helps you find some carriers as well. And we've put some great stuff out regarding that product. One of the, one of the big things too. So like DAT's directory, right? If you have DAT power, that's probably one of your best load board tools as a dispatcher. Cause you can see both the, well, I guess you really just need the um, DAT express or tr- I'm sorry, it would be trucker's edge, but that yeah. power is really probably the best one because it gives you access to see posted loads and available carrier capacity. Um, and again, you get a free month. Just use the link in our, uh, in our episode mm-hmm. notes, not to boost ourselves up here, but support your boys and hop down there with those links. Yeah. Um, Speaking of DAT, take the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT load board network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners. Plus, you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Now Freight 360 is partnering with DAT to offer your first month free, as Nate just mentioned. Check out the show notes for more details on the links to get your link today. Absolutely. DAT Power, man. That's my go-to. Love it. Love it. So that's uh, dispatching in a nutshell, right? Yep. It's a great needed uh, It's a great needed role in the industry for a lot of smaller carriers, and there's a lot of value to it. So um, ultimately brokers and, and dispatchers, there's that, that overflow of folks that kind of act in both roles. Just make sure you're doing it legally and ethically. So good stuff. Good stuff. Got a few uh, social media questions here, Ben. First one, 
This came off of our Facebook group. It's a very simple yes or no question. The question is, is it required for freight brokers to take the two-hour drug and alcohol awareness training? Simple answer, no. When they say the, like, is there... <laughs> a specific one there or is there a product that people are like pitching like hey i don't know man with us here's the thing if you want to know the legal requirements to become a freight broker the best way to do it well there's there's two ways if you want to do all the research yourself you can go to fmcsa's website and literally read through all of it in the fine print everything and figure out what's required and i can tell you that a two-hour drug and alcohol course is not in there the other option and we'll be launching our Freight Broker Basics course sometime sometime in the near future. We break down the basics of freight brokerage at a very, very um, high one-on-one level. It sounds ironic, right? High one. Yeah. It's like a high level view, but like a broken down at a one-on-one level on getting started, the requirements. But then we get into more um, advanced stuff when it comes to sales training and tactics and dispatching and all that. But, you know, just make sure you read what the requirements are sourced from at the FMCSA. And there's nothing in there about a two hour drug and alcohol course. I can, yeah. at least as of April, 2021. So if you're listening yeah. to this next year and it's uh, it's in place, who knows? We, you know, not the time though. Interesting. Number two, what are recommendations for contingent cargo, Nate? Good question. Um, it's a vague question, but I've got a, a couple pointers here. So contingent cargo, remember, it's not a primary cargo policy. A primary cargo policy would be carried by a, an asset-based motor carrier. But contingent cargo policies, as our friend Melt talked about with us uh, from TI Advisors uh, earlier in the year, um, work with a broker, first of all, right? An insurance broker can shop the market and find a bunch of available policies and underwriters for you. And then the second tip is to have that broker explain to you what coverage you're getting and also give you some advisement on what coverage you may want to have added in there for um, your own protection. The third tip is to look at what your customers are requiring, right? If your customer says we need to have this amount of contingent cargo coverage, they're going to dictate that. Work with your insurance broker to make sure that your policy meets that. And if your customer is asking for something that doesn't really make sense, like Melt said, he he's hopped on the phone with customers before and, and talked them off the ledge of these ridiculous requirements and said, hey, what do you want to be protected from? We can get a policy in place that will do that. And then it'll be all written up nice and clean and everyone's good to go. So that's my recommendation is you know, take the guesswork out of it by working with a established insurance broker that knows what they're doing. They're that, that high quality, high octane. They got a lot of business and they know what they're talking about. That's my recommendation. Cause you can have some of these contingent cargo policies now that are really, really good for brokers that almost, they almost seem like a primary cargo policy. The more you're going to have covered though, the more it's going to cost. So there's that fine line of how much risk are you comfortable with and how much risk is your customer comfortable with? Interesting. Uh, good question, though. Yep. Here's a good one. What should I do if a carrier is asking for a thousand dollars over the posted rate? <laughs> this is likely De- happening. Depends. Depends what your day. posted rate is. Yeah. First, yeah. First and foremost, what the posted rate is. But this is happening everywhere, all of the time, right now. In a market like this, that's common. Um, first and foremost, everybody's going to ask for it to see if they can get it right. 
and that's a common negotiating tactic is one, if you post a load up for, we'll say three grand, carrier calls in and says, I need four, it's more likely statistically over negotiations that you will pay somewhere in between what you posted and that thousand. In all yeah. honesty, you'll probably end up paying somewhere in the middle of the posted rate versus what they're asking. If you wanted to go with that carrier, they know that. That's yeah. why they're starting that much higher than where you posted. Yep. So we talked about this recently. What is a fair price? A fair price is a price where both the buyer and the seller agree to pay and sell at that price and neither party is in distress or duress or whatever the word So, right, broker has a load, carrier has a load, broker agrees to sell load to carrier at whatever price, carrier agrees to accept that tender at that price, that's the fair market rate. That's what it is. So if they're asking for a thousand over and it's because you posted it too low, they're not gouging you. Um, and the same thing, same thing goes with, you know, I've seen some of these longer hauls, right? Where maybe it's a 3000 mile run and you post it for, you know, let's say it's 5,000 and they want 6,500 or maybe 7,000 because it has four drops along the way. You're, you know, they're not screwing you by asking for more money. You just had it underpriced. So, yep. I mean, there's, there's a lot of subjectivity to that, but I would definitely take a look at the the data you have to make sure that you're in the ballpark. Don't overpay just because they're asking for more doesn't mean it's worth more. That's, well, that's, that's another. My first question is that's too. what that carrier asked for. What did the carrier before them say, and what did the carrier after them say? Because one is not a data sample, right? Like one yep. is can be an isolated incident. One doesn't really tell you what's really going on in the lane. Yeah, exactly. So, good stuff. Great episode, man. All about dispatching. So yeah, it's a good topic. Um, it's really interesting. We get asked about this a lot. I think there's a lot of value in starting your career there, understanding it. I mean, you personally started your career or, you know, at least very early on got to see this side of the business. I mean, yeah. how much dividends did that pay throughout the rest of your career? Dude, it's, so I, personally, and even before getting into brokerage, just working, working on the asset side was a, I loved it. I loved it a lot. So I worked, I worked for an LTL carrier. So I got to even see the LTL, LTL side of it as well. Um, but learning just the freight operations in general. So running a dock at a reship facility, um, running day-to-day pickup and delivery, dispatching drivers, um, managing dock workers and managing truck drivers. It was really cool just to get that experience and to be around trucks and learn, you know, what is different equipment type, right? Like what are swing doors versus a, a roll-up door and just being kind of like when we had, um, we had the flatbed episode and we were talking about how, I forget which company it was. Was it? PGH. Uh, what's that? PGH up in Pittsburgh. Big flatbed yeah, here. So they had all their folks go through and actually get to see the trucks first person yep. before they're going to broker. How to secure a load. load, how yep. a coil rack is put on a truck. So when you're talking about these things, you can see them at least in your mind's eye and understand yep. what you're talking about. Oh yeah. And part of the thing that we did when I worked for Conway was we actually, we spent time driving around with local drivers and get to know what it's like to drive in a truck. And, you know, granted I had already a bunch of that experience in the military, but seeing it in the civilian world, just throughout the community was, uh, you know, as a really good learning experience. And I spent a few years with that company before moving to uh, the brokerage side. So I think it's great. Um, if you want to become a broker, you know, if you work for a brokerage that, 
will give you that kind of training where you're going to be around trucks. That's great. Otherwise, if you're dispatching, it's a great way to learn it too. You know, there's just, there's a lot of value. The, the more, the more experience you can get and the more tools you can put in your tool belt, you know, per se, or, you know, more equipment you can put in your rucksack or whatever you want to call it, the better. You're going to be a more well-rounded value add person. So. And I think it, even just it. some, like some direct things, right? Like these things matter, like riding around on a truck gives you insight that most brokers don't have that there's reasons why some carriers don't want to go to some shippers because it's hard for them to drive into the lot. It's hard for them to back to the docks. And once they go there, once they know that and they're like, look, I know who these people are. I don't want to load there anymore. And anybody that's been in this industry has heard that this is that insight that you get into the industry to know that these are some of the challenges and it helps you work around them so that you can help solve some of these problems. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, topic. it's amazing to see certain customer docks. And I'm like, how can you get a truck in there? Mm-hmm. It's angled. It's you're going down a diagonal ramp. And I'm like, how the hell can they, but Hey, good drivers can do it. Yep. So, good stuff. Good mm-hmm. stuff. Well, good episode, man. We got uh, coming up down the road here. We're going to do, I think it's next week. We're going to talk produce season, right? We got, we have uh, Dean back on or it's sometime this month. That's going to be a really great episode talking about the produce um, season starting and what that's going to look like. So if you're in the, if you're in the produce realm, tune in for next week. It's going to be a good. So final thoughts, Ben, whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. Until next time, go bills. That wraps up this episode of freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.